Hi everyone, we will now request for a Dhamma talk. Brahma Chaloka Dipati Sahampati Katanjaliya Divarang Ayachata Santi Dasata Paraja Kajatika Dese Tudava Anukampimam Paja Namo Tassa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputassa Namo Tassa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputassa Namo Tassa Pakawato Arahato Sama Samputassa Putan Dhammang Sankang Namasami So hello again. Nice to be with you in this uh, digital manner. Some familiar faces. I see Joseph there and Catherine. So our blessings to you from Tisarana. We're all we're all doing pretty good, quite well. Ajahn Pavaro has joined us now from Thailand, and we'll have one more beauty coming. Venerable Kema, he will arrive for the Vasa. So we're a full house. Um, last. Last, or in our last meeting, one of the questions at the end was uh, someone posed a question on the uh, problem of attachment to family and how can we be less attached to, to family. So I thought I'd, and, I, and the way I answered that, what I, I spoke about the Brahma Viharas, and especially Upeka in the four Brahma Viharas, so maybe I could go with that theme and see where it takes us. So the, the Brahma Viharas, just to remind you, you'll know this, our, our fourfold way of talking about the heart which is liberated. Sometimes in, in Buddhist in texts it's said that, uh, we, that uh, an enlightened being realizes the unshakable deliverance of the heart. Uh, and so one kind of wonders, well, what's the emotional um, content of that? What might it be? And, and I guess the closest we'd have would be the, the Brahma Viharas. And the Brahma Viharas are ways uh, that a mind which is not caught up with selfishness and egotism and so on, it's the way the heart responds to a given situation. So the, the idea of metta or kindness is one that um, one does, the heart does not dwell in uh, wishing ill to others. Uh, sometimes it's translated as loving kindness. That can be rather too powerful a, a statement because someone who you really really dislike uh, and, and has caused you harm it'd be hard maybe to, to think of loving kindness but you could think of not having ill will towards the person we can do that so you might feel some annoyance at the person or whatever and, and then your mind wants to go to ill will and said no I'm not going to go there I have memories of this person the person's been cruel and unkind to me but I'm not going to wish them ill I can do that and the memories of cruelness and unkindness that we have, we have to somehow uh, work through that. 
And then metta itself became, become, become more profound. It can move towards more and more um, deep sense of, of, of love to being. So there's, I, I would say there's a gradation in that. But it's basic, basic idea is not to alienate myself from others through the thoughts of ill will. May, you, may your life be somehow harmful to you. So the alienation takes place when we do create a sense of self and other and then wish the other person harm. When we don't do that, uh, we might feel annoyance, but that comes and goes. We don't create a so strong sense of self and other. Karuna is, of course, the, the sense of compassion. Uh, it's the opposite of cruelty, and that's that which arises when you see someone in distress or, or suffering, you want to reach out to them, hear about their suffering, and see how you can help them. That's a very active part of our lives, the generous part of our lives. Mudita is, is, the, is the, the sense of, of beauty and joy in the world and how we can appreciate that. So, um, like, I, had a, I have a bird bath near, my, near one of my windows, and there was, a, there was three deer, just before I came, three deer came to drink out, uh, out of the bird bath. They're just the right height for drinking the water there. One was a male with, with antlers, and then two females came in. Very beautiful and, and made me very happy actually to, to see them. And, and we have that capacity for happiness because there is beauty in the world. We don't notice the beauty if we're caught up in our own inner turmoils or we're caught up in hatred or cruelty. Uh, we, don't, we don't notice beauty if we're just thinking all the time. So a heart which is free from the kind of consuming nature of, of, of self when it just has this sense of availability then we notice beauty more and more. And in that, in that beauty, that sense of upliftment is the same as the ownership of want, like, like the, it's not the same as sensual desire and sensual craving. It's a natural uh, formation of the mind when the mind's available to the beauty that exists. But it's not necessary. If, it, if it's not beautiful, the mind can have upeka. And upeka is the fourth of these Brahma-viharas. And upeka, sometimes it's not understood because it sounds like it's a kind of deadness, equanimity, but it's always in the context of those other three. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a fourfold teaching which I always felt was appropriate because the, the heart's response to the world can't be a constant. It can't be just one way. So if someone is suffering, I don't say, oh, good for you. I don't have mudita, I have karuna, right? Um, so, so upeka is, is very difficult, and upeka, there are many, many lever, levels of equanimity which we, we, we could maybe consider today and see where that goes. To, if you look at it, if you look at it as, a, as, a, as, a, as a way of training rather than some kind of experience that you get, like you get upeka or you don't get it, it's not either or, it's not like just having something, it's something that you train towards. And if you, if you look at it that way, then you can see that to understand Upeka, rather than just to get it as a product, like you would get uh, um, a dozen eggs or something at the market, that it, it, it's something that you need to sort of train towards and understand. And how could you understand Upeka? Well, you, the way to understand Upeka is first and foremost to understand what is not Upeka in your own heart. What is not economist, right? 
Because what is not equanimous is what you have to train with. And if you do that, then you can do that. Maybe I can't be equanimous, but I can notice non-equanimity. I can notice myself getting uptight in the traffic jam, or, or being anxious about my health, or, or, or being totally infatuated with something, getting overly excited about something. I can notice, so this is certainly not equanimity. This is certainly not peaceful. And the noticing of non-peace is the beginning of peace, because one is then objective, one is no longer the subject. Huh? And that's what I call getting in the game. If you don't get there, you're never in the game because you're just a victim to all these movements that we have, up and down and so on. So the, the, the training in anything is to awaken to the way things are. And if one wanted to really contemplate upeka or non-attachment, you, you would do that as, as a kind of ongoing uh, uh, inquiry into your own heart and mind. And, and, and inquiry is something that Lumpa Cha inquires a lot in Lumpa Sumedho too, where there's a kind of questioning that goes on in our hearts. It's not the, the questioning of just self-analysis, not that. It's just like, what, what is it about the mind that's really confused right now? Or, uh, why can't I get on with this person? Or, what's going on in the mind? Or, what is Upeka here? And what isn't it? And so that kind of inner questioning is, 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 it gets you away from the judging mind, gets you away from the self-proliferating mind to a kind of objective view of how your inner life is formed and how it's performing right now and what you might do is, and how you might move towards a more peaceful state of mind. And, and, and I, I, I relate that to, the, to the, one of the factors of enlightened Dhamma Vijaya, the investigation of, of Dhamma. And that's not an academic investigation. You're not like taking a bunch of texts and getting more clever with it. You're taking one idea, your own, let's say in this case, your own lack of equanimity, and that is your program. That's what you're learning from, the lack of equanimity to move towards uh, equanimity, to understand equanimity. So on the coarsest level uh, of, of non-equanimity would be when there is some really, really strong program in your mind which wants to do something very harmful to yourself or others. And that's, of course, where we have precepts. So if I really want to hurt someone with speech, you know, I feel angry at someone or disappointed or, or contemptuous or cynical or whatever, and then my speech wants to lash out with them, that's certainly a lack of, of equanimity, but the, the sense of, of respecting the precepts and, and really practicing right speech is a way of then protecting from that non-equanimity creating bad results. Obviously killing, uh, you know, killing, you want to kill something, someone, precepts say don't do that. So even though there isn't much equanimity in the mind, the mind is really full of rage or, or, or you know, kind of extreme sense of lust or whatever it might be, um, the start of equanimity is to, to protect yourself and others with the precepts. This is so, so very, very important. And the way we look at the precepts is, is a sense of, of, of uh, the, one of the nicest ways I think of looking at the precepts is that, that we, we give the gift of fearlessness to others. When I, when I say to someone, I'm not going to hurt, I'm not going to harm you physically. I'm not going to hurt you. I promise you, I might be really annoyed at you, 
and I might really dislike you, but I promise you, I will not hurt you. I will not hit you. I will not hurt you. And that gives the other person uh, the freedom from the fear of, of, of being hurt. You free them from that fear. They know for sure you're not going to hurt them, even though I might, I might be in a bad state of mind. And that's a gift I can give to others. I give you the gift of freedom from fear. Um, the, the, the gift of, of freedom, I'm, even though I might like your, your, uh, your Cadillac or whatever it is, or even though I like your computer, or, or even though I have a chance to embezzle funds from the company, I will not do that. I promise you, I will not take your goods. I make a promise to you that I will, I will free you from the fear of, 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 of losing your things. I promise you that. And that's a gift, a gift to others. Right? So even though I might have the impulse, which is not equanimous, to uh, take something which is not mine, I, I make this promise. And that, makes, that takes me above the impulse to do that. I, I pro- like if one is in relationship, I promise that I, I will not be promiscuous. I will be faithful in relationship. In monasticism, I promise I will be celibate. I will not draw someone else into any kind of sexual relationship because people who come here, that's not where they come here. They come here for the eight precepts. So as a monk, I promise you I won't do that. I won't lay that trip on you, even though I might feel infatuated with someone. In a relationship of, 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 of non-celibacy and normal five precepts, I promise, even though you might look like an old turkey this morning, I promise you, I will, I will not seek out another partner. <laughs> I'm sure that happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of, 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 of right speech, I promise I will not lie to you. Even though I don't want you to know something, maybe, I will not lie to you. I promise you that. I will free you from the fear of that kind of misinformation and mistrust. And I promise you I will not... Uh, inflict on you my inebriation. I promise you I'll be sober. And, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful way to look at precepts. It's not just about uh, kind of a morality which you're trying to hold in, but rather it's a gift of the world. It's a gift of non-violence. It's a gift of non-corruption. It's a gift of, 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 of non-promiscuity, of, of honesty, of sobriety and clarity. And that's a huge thing, isn't it? And that is the first step in equanimity. Right? That is a, both a protection to myself and it helps others to be more autonomous because I free them from fear. So we have, we have very, you know, we have very coarse levels of non-equanimity. We have anger and fear and, and all these things. And, and the, the beauty of that whole precept structure is to protect ourselves and others. And when you do that, when I do that, then that leads to equanimity because I haven't acted on it and I have a sense of self-respect. I have a sense of self-worth that even though the impulse was there to maybe embezzle funds from the company, it could have been easy, I didn't do it. I didn't go there. I was honest. And that memory stays with me. The opposite memory would stay with me too. And that is, that that is a factor in equanimity. So if, if someone has lived, you know, if someone's like really been very um, cruel in the business world and hurt others and embezzled funds, you wouldn't want to live with those memories, would you? Not, it wouldn't be a very equanimous state of mind, and then there'd have to be some kind of distraction. So that's kind of one, one level you might think of equanimity. Um, you, could, you could judge yourself and say, oh, I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't be fearful, but there it is, it arises. It's like that. And, and, and the, the, the dedication to social responsibility is 
tremendously helpful, tremendously helpful, and a very beautiful way to live. So then there are, there are other, other kind of garden variety, lack of equanimity, so then there's just the, the traffic jam, you have to make it to the airport, you might miss the plane, you get anxious there. Um, yesterday or the day before, I was, I was gluing up some large pieces of oak, and I had these large metal clamps, and I had clamped it all up, and then it, the, the glue was dry, and I was undoing the clamp, and it's a big metal clamp, and I whacked my head. And I wasn't very economist. <laughs> In fact, I, I, I started to hate the clamp. Now, what could be more stupid than hate a piece of metal, right? What a, you know, but there it was. It was a version. It was a version. Huh? And, of course, I rubbed my head furiously, and I just was very, very careful just to look at the body. So it really, really hurt, and the mind, oh, you idiot, you're dumb, or whatever. No, 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 no. Aversion feels this way. Aversion feels this way. And we get a lot of things like that in life. Just the, 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 you know, life is a hassle. These, you know, you get hit by things in the head of a piece of metal and look like an idiot. And it happens. This is the way it is. And then, then if you've actually contemplated, and this is the thing, if you, if you really contemplate something like equanimity, you really do it like day in and day out, day in and day out and day out, when something comes up which is non-equanimous, you are prepared for it because you've been thinking about it, you've been pondering it. And then as the non-equanimous state comes up and you get hit in the head by a piece of metal, then, ah, this is a chance. This is a chance to know, oh, non-equanimity feels this way. And annoyance feels this way, anger feels this way. And you stay with it, and what have you done? You've trained in equanimity. Not because you all of a sudden are you know, equanimous, not, not because of that. No, because now you've prepared your mind through previous considerations, and when the event happens, you're prepared for the event, and then you practice. You practice awareness of non-equanimity, which is lovely. Um, so it might be a, a, an airport um, trip to the airport or something like that. Is my sound still okay, Peter? Yes, Long Paul, you're well. Okay. All right. Um, so there, there, there are like there are many, many things like that, which is just annoying in the world, or or aggravating, or anxious producing, because we're very sensitive, and 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 uh, all kinds of things can happen to us. Then there are there are some things which are much, much more difficult. You know, they're, they're much more difficult, which are just sort of embedded in consciousness because of all kinds of previous conditioning. It might be patterns of fear or patterns of, of jealousy or self-doubt or insecurity, uh, patterns of, of lust and greed, which are, which are more than just your garden variety getting hit in the head with a piece of metal, much, much more difficult to deal with. But, but if you have contemplated um, equanimity and non-equanimity, if you've done that seriously, um, then when those things come up, you realize, okay, this is more difficult. This is much, much more difficult, but... I'm going to take it on, and this is the feeling of non-equanimity. And where you, where you really train in this attitude, I would say, where you prepare yourself for life's daily hassles and, and non-equanimities that come up, where you do that is informal practice. Because if you, if, you, if you take the theme of equanimity and non-equanimity, 
in a half hour of meditation, and you make that your theme rather than getting peaceful or whatever, and you just contemplate, well, what's equanimity? What's peacefulness? And what's non-peacefulness? And you observe your mind. Even if your mind is busy and upset or whatever, that observation conjoined with a certain, certain theme called equanimity, non-equanimity, that half an hour of meditation means that when you enter into the world, that's going to be the way you perceive your interactions with the world through this background of having contemplated equanimity and non-equanimity. You, you program the mind to, to do Dhamma work. If you never do that, if you never make a kind of serious intention to look at some aspect of Dharma, Dhamma Vijaya, and you don't do it in a kind of um, consistent way for a period of time, half an hour, an hour, whatever you want, then the, then the momentum of investigation, the momentum of Dharma uh, doesn't have enough power. And the momentum of things like irritation or fear has more power and you get overwhelmed. And you're back in the soup and you regret it again. So you, you need to somehow program the mind toward investigation of Dhamma. And, and, and the way I've been taught to do that is to do it in formal meditation, but also to do it as an intention throughout the day. So if you see, I've always enjoyed that. Like uh, I did this, you know, from the, the talk last week. I thought, well, that'll be an interesting exploration. I'll just explore upeka uh, this week and, and and just see what that would be like. And then that becomes the uh, the background mindset for all the things I do. So whether I'm in the workshop, or I'm with the monks at breakfast, or lunch, or I'm talking to a guest, or whatever, the background. The background awareness, it's always got this theme going on. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, irritated here, or, or I'm a bit anxious here, or whatever. Oh, that's the feeling of non-equanimity. That's the feeling of non-equanimity, and by knowing it, it always takes me to equanimity. It always takes me to equanimity, because I know it as an object. I'm no longer caught as the subject. The, the, the wearing out of kamma, the wearing out of karmic habits is, I think it's for most of us, it's very difficult. Some, you know, some very adept teachers, you hear that they, Lopaliam, he, he, he practices fiercely for a few years and he realizes enlightenment and then has a purity which runs through his whole life. Now, very few of us experience that. I, I wish we could all do it that way, but we don't. So what we experience are a lot of patterns and a lot of habits and a lot of very disappointing mind states, that, which even though you know, you know that this is definitely not equanimity, we get caught up into it. So you have to accept that, that part of equanimity is accepting non-equanimity, accepting that you will get upset, that you will make mistakes, that you will blow, that you will practice wrong speech, even though your intention is not to do that. And that acceptance is the beginning of the metta bhavana, because metta bhavana is first and foremost not dwelling in aversion. So to, to cultivate equanimity, you also have to cultivate non-aversion. Because if I have aversion to the habits of mind that come through me for various reasons which I know or I don't know, and I just always criticize them that and judge that, that's not in the package of the four Brahma Viharas. So I have to accept it. But acceptance is not condolence. It's not saying, oh great, I'm a creep today. Oh great, I, 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 you know, I hurt someone. That's not it. It's like accepting the habit and saying, 
This is what non-equanimity feels like. So metta, or kindness, or acceptance, begins to be conjoined with this more objective view of the habits of mind. And once that is, be, begins to be in place, then the habits of the mind are no longer fueled and fed. They're no longer fueled and fed, and they begin to have less and less power because they're known objectively rather than be the subject. Now, that, take, might, that might take years. You know, just get to that stage of objective acceptance of non-equanimity is, is, is the beginning. You'd think it's the end, but it's not. It's the beginning. And then a lot of the practice, is, as Wong Po Cha would say, is waton. You just have to bear witness. You just have to be patient because this is not you. If it was you, then you would just be equanimous, equanimous tomorrow. But non-equanimity is not really you. It's, it's pattern, it's habit, it's karma, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's DNA, whatever you want to call it. It's childhood conditioning. And it's coming through awareness when it gets triggered by causes and conditions. And our job, our job is then to witness and begin to, be the, to see that in that witnessing is where the deepest equanimity lies, not in an emotional experience. So sometimes you have an emotional experience which is very peaceful, and it's great, you like it. And you say, well, that's equanimity, that, 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 that peaceful experience I had. But that was a peaceful experience which changed, whereas the deepest equanimity is in witnessing awareness. And that I tried to indicate through um, that, the meditation. I just, you know, all I said was, listen to sound. Listen to, I just really listen and see that that silence is always there. And that's the deepest source of equanimity. And then in those teachings, you know, in the teachings on equanimity, you'll find gradations, but in those teachings of equanimity, then you get a very, uh, very simple, simple dynamic or, or, or simple suggestion, which is very difficult to do. One is, is like the, the desirelessness, third noble truth. Desirelessness. You start to put that language in, you, in, in, in consciousness. Desirelessness. Now, if you put that language in consciousness, then you see desire itself, and that's non-equanimity. Time, future, becoming, getting rid of all of that movement, you just put one word in, desirelessness. And then you see the tension of desire. Or, or you do simple things like, um, um, what's his name, the, the famous Ajahn the one that reformulated the, the Four Noble Truths. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, the mind going outside is the cause. The result of the mind going outside is suffering. The mind knowing the mind is the path. The result of the mind knowing the mind is the end of suffering. And that's very simple. Very simple, very hard to do. So you'll find that you're... Um, proliferating about something, you're anxious about work or your kids, and you're attached to the, you know, what your kids might experience or whatever, and you say, the mind going outside is the cause. The mind knowing the mind, oh, this is the feeling of anxiety about my children. That's the end of suffering. Anxiety feels this way. Uh, and, and, and so you, your practice of equanimity moves from the course, like sila and, and protection and, and, and then it moves to a kind of self-discipline, sense restraint, not stimulating the mind, that kind of thing. And, and then it moves to more um, a disciplined uh, silencing of the mind, sitting more, 
being more, uh, making more determination to, to actually be with the way things are. And then it moves to, to, to a kind of um, general ability, I would say, general ability to all the time know that the mind going outside is the cause, the mind knowing the mind is the end of suffering. You get better and better at it. You get better and better at it. And then as the karma comes up, um, that going outside into the objects becomes, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get reborn into that state. I don't want to be that sense of self again. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And it becomes very strong. It becomes very, very strong and, and embedded in, 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 a, um, in a strength, I would say, which has been built up through witnessing, through sila, through sitting and silencing the mind, through understanding, understanding your own formations. It's, it's very important that you don't try to mimic someone else or um, uh, compare yourself to someone else's practice. You, can't, you can do that, but you just suffer. But what is the experience that I have? What is the experience of suffering that I have? What is the pattern that I have? And what's the non-equality that I have? So different parents will have different attachments to their children. And then you see, well, well, kids are kids, and I love my kids, but what is attachment to kids? What does that really feel like? I don't know. I don't have kids. Um, what is, how does that arise in the mind? And can I witness it as an object? And then if I witness it as an object, then I, then I still have love for my children, but I, I don't get caught by the worries and the anxieties because I know them as objects. They'll still come up because biologically, uh, the relationship of family, of, of parents to kids, is very powerful. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's nature. It's just nature. Now, some, I think some, I was, I was just thinking about, about a, a kind of physical comparison uh, about equanimity, and I thought, like, I have, I have some minor psoriasis, which is a, a skin, um, skin disease, which many people have, and, and I've been to specialists, and they say that it'll never get cured. Don't worry about it. So I don't worry about it, and I put a little lotion on it, and it's not a problem. It's just a skin disease. Now, I think, I think to some extent, you have to also maybe look at your own inner world, that sometimes there's just going to be stuff that you're just going to have to bear with, right? You think, well, if I really had upeka, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have psoriasis kind of thing. Well, maybe, maybe, sometimes you just have inner psoriasis, right? And it just itches. And you say, well, okay, that's just the way it is. And the example I like to think of is Lumpacha, when you probably read in the um, um, Stillness Flowing? Lumpacha's beautiful biography that Ajahn Jayasaro did, Stillness Flowing, um, where the uh, Mordu, the, the uh, palmist, um, goes to Lumpacha and he's, he's sitting with Lumpacha and he's looking, following Lumpacha's hands and he sees something and he, he said, Lopal, Lopal, can I look at your hands? I know you don't like this kind of stuff, but Cole, can I please look at your hands? And Lopal, oh, okay, have a look. And he has a look at his hands. He said, whoa, that line, you've got a lot of aversion. You've got a lot of anger. And Lopal Chan says, yeah, but I don't use it. I'm not attached to it. And I thought, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that some kind of karmic momentum of aversion or whatever comes through the consciousness that Lopal Chan is experiencing, and, and not a problem. I don't use it. So maybe it's like psoriasis sometimes. Yeah, you feel 
yeah, you know, you feel annoyed at someone or attached to your kids or whatever, but maybe it's just, it's all right. It's just psoriasis, it's just itches. Don't make it a problem. Now, now, obviously, if, if, you, if you don't have a witnessing mind, if you haven't trained in witnessing, if you haven't trained in objective awareness, then these karmic tendencies are just going to take over. You know, because they have power. They're not, they're not innocent little things that are, are, are inconsequential. They are consequential, and they have power. So the, the power we have to bring into it is, um, obviously, sila. Dana is very important. It's just having some kind of radiant generosity in the heart is very, very important. But then developing the sense of patient endurance, witnessing, inquiring, inquiring, of what, you know, what is this really like? What is suffering really like? And what is this conflict that I have? Just understanding yourself. Then, then, the, 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 then the karma that we have isn't just a bad joke. If you don't have dharma, then it's just a bad joke, isn't it? It's like, oh God, how did I get this? But if you have dharma and investigation, I said, this is my curriculum. These habits and patterns, this is what I have to learn from. And there is a kind of, uh, what is it? It's a kind of challenge of the mountain. Isn't that it? Like, this is the mountain I've got to climb. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it because this is the only thing that I'm going to learn from. So the very problems one has, the lack of equanimity, are the source of equanimity. How else could it work? The very places I have non-equanimity are the places of liberation and freedom. The work of doing it is gradual. It comes from insight. It comes from understanding. It comes from application again and again and again. But the, the, the work is truly worthwhile because then you've addressed your own lack of peace and, and you've resolved that in your own heart. And the confidence is, 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 is a lovely part of, of the, the liberation from that. So it's not a confidence of intellect. You know, you have some opinion about Buddhism. It's a confidence. You've understood your own heart. You've seen where the mind does not have peace. You've worked at it. And slowly and gradually, you've seen that diminishing and falling away. And so it's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. It really, it, it really is something which is very, very rewarding. And then those rewards manifest in the world where the Brahma-viharas are now more available. Because the mind is not consumed by self-concern, by the haunting nature of self-thoughts and so on, what is there to do but serve and to help and be and enjoy life? Enjoy the, the, the deer drinking the water or, or whatever it is, or bear with the sickness that we have. So the Brahma-viharas are kind of liberated more and more as equanimity becomes stronger. All right, so I'll offer that for your reflection. Are there any questions out there in Zoom land? Abita, any questions? We're waiting for the questions to come in, Lampo. Okay. So if anyone has good questions, please raise your digital hand and we will unmute you.
go, go through the screen for a minute for the reader. Good morning, I'm Paul. Good morning. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to find out from you how can I walk out from an unpeaceful state of mind where I have some attachment at work, but at the same time, I'm not managing so well with the emotions of my client because I'm in the helping industry. So now I'm transiting out from this profession, but there's still attachment that I, I can still serve them, but on the other side, my emotional equipment isn't isn't at a good state to 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 cope with the challenges demands. I mean, in this time, that uh, their struggle are very real. Okay. Yeah, I, Am I clear? Um, I'll try. Uh, the answer, the question wasn't so clear, but I think I I got the gist of it. So you're 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 saying you're having uh, difficulties with clients at work and the conflicts are a bit overwhelming. Could you maybe describe like the emotional content of the conflict? Okay, so, so uh, I have a, a, a real crisis family violence case which uh, a client has actually reached out to me as a friend, but as a professional, I'm also trying to draw a line like this is also something that I know that is beyond my capability to, to attend to the client. But at this time, if I don't attend to the client, because my state of mind is also quite overwhelming. So I'm just trying to also resolve the underlying, uh, those, those a lot of emotion inside. It's very real to, to, attend to, a, to attend to a real crisis and also uh, listening to others attending a crisis is, is very different. I mean, the fear is because the client has a state uh, of mind that she would like to end the life and that there's a lot of implication. So the feel, so as I'm speaking to you now, I think I'm still processing the, the inner feeling. Yeah, I mean, this is a helping industry. I'm a social worker, but I know that this is too much for me to, to handle at this stage. Perhaps I don't have the emotional equipment that I think, I'm very thankful that a friend of mine has helped me raise a question to you the last time that uh, I'm serving very well at, at at work, I can survive at work, but there's a great tragedy at home. I think I, I latched on my daughter and also my husband. So I think I took your advice uh, with much with much contemplation, and I see a lot of attachment that I, I like to be a social worker. I like to serve, but I know that it's impossible for me to serve. I mean, because I don't have the emotional capacity. So I'm not transiting out, but there's still much suffering. I mean, I, I, I know that you, you mentioned during the talk that if you were to speak to me, you would ask me to, to maybe quit the job. So I'm the one that you're speaking to right now. <laughs> so just well, taking your advice. A common, a common um, question among social workers is, is the, the problem is that the nervous system is asked to perform beyond its capabilities. And, and if you don't if you don't adjust that, then you just burn out. So having good intentions is, is great, and serving is great, but if you're getting to the point where your mind is obsessed with other people's problems, or you're crying, you're exhausted, you can't be with your family, realize it's not, it's not, it's not your fault, it's more like your nervous system has limited capacity. If you, if you took a physical example, and I asked you to lift a 200-pound bag of, you couldn't do it, and you'd know physically, you know, I can't do this. 
So emotionally, sometimes we think we can do more than we can actually do. And, and, and ha- getting your supervisors and talking with them and, and, and counseling, your supervisors are very important in this because they're, they're watching you and they're observing how much you're able to deal with. And if, if, the, if the content of the people you're dealing with is so overwhelming, you have to somehow do less hours or, or more, less extreme uh, people or whatever. And you have to somehow, I think, move your, your vocation to something which is doable. I mean, it's easy for me to say that, right? But it's very important that you look at it not as a failing of yours in some kind of um, professional way. It's more a, 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 it's oftentimes, you know, a failing of society. That society can create such stressful situations and then you're asked to somehow um, help some person who's already at the limit and save them where, where it, it can be quite unreasonable that way. So your counselors and your family and so on, you, you need to keep, in, your Kalyana Mitta, keep in touch with them and talk with them and, and see how you can do the social work, but how can you do less? And it, like anyone that I've talked to, and I, I've had some minor sort of situations of burnout where what happened to, to me was where I, I, I lost the capacity to be aware of my reactions and I just became reactive and reactive and reactive and reactive and I lost the capacity to do that. I lost the capacity to be mindful. Although I knew what was going on, I knew what was going on, but my reactivity was stronger than my capacity to be aware. And, and that was very unhealthy for me. I had to get out of the situation. So if you're not able to recoup your energies each day through meditation or through going for a walk or cooking a meal for someone, if you're not able to recoup those energies and you're getting a kind of deficit of, of, of clarity each day and that's being compounded, this is very dangerous because you, your, your nervous system is not made for that. So I, I would say talk to your supervisors, and, and then if you have to set boundaries, um, I know it's, it can sound cruel, but somehow tell, you know, get people to other resources and, 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 and close your phone down or, or your emails so that you can, you can kind of recoup your energy. And, and then the way you recoup your energy is usually by doing nothing. You know, just sitting in a chair and looking at trees and letting the, the stress come out of you, which is, which is not nice. You'll feel angry or you'll cry or you know, stuff will just come out of you, but that's a good thing. But it's done in the context of having no pressure and, 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 and no social expectations. And, and meditation quite often can be that, where it's, it's just this upwelling of horrible stuff, but it's the release of a lot of um, contracted energy which needs to come out of you. But you you need to give yourself that time. If you don't give yourself time, and they're just compounding this each day, each day, each day, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. So usually in, in social work, I know in Canada, uh, each social worker has their supervisors, and they're their go-to person who then they talk to. So this is, this is too much for me. It's overwhelming. So don't, don't worry about, they don't worry about like feeling a failure. That's not it. It's like how much social work can you do in society? You want to do that, you can, but to the limits of your own uh, emotional uh, con- construct. So some people are more equanimous. 
The most equanimous are sociopaths. <laughs> they have no problem. <laughs> but you don't want to be that, right? So you have compassion, you know. <laughs> you have goodness, and now how can you how can you uh, allow that goodness to be expressed? But also you have to consider your family, right? Your family is your most important. You don't want to come back home and then dump stuff on your family. You want to be able to relate to your family in a loving way. So it's a huge, huge question now around right livelihood, I would say. What is right livelihood in this case? It's not just that you do a good thing. It's more that you can do a good thing that you can do, you know, that you have the capacity to do. So do be careful, right? Be careful and listen to your friends. Okay? Okay. Bonjour. Well, it's Hubert from Toronto. Hello. Hi, good evening, and thank you for the opportunity to ask questions. Okay. Uh, and actually, my question, I believe, is quite related to the answer you just kindly gave. And it's about aversion and the threshold, or the question is what to do when aversion of inner feelings is so strong that in meditation, for example, it's overwhelming. So I'm aware that there are very strong feelings bubbling out. I can detach from them and, and watch them, yet they play out and they, they're too strong. <laughs> And yes. they, they don't seem to get out. They just play out. And it's, so the equanimity doesn't happen because <laughs> the, the, the aversion is too strong. And I was wondering if you had any... So I, uh, I can relate my own experience to that as a, as a young monk. I had a lot of rage for no, no real reason. Just I was probably just um, fed up with being a monk, probably. And I wanted uh, to have a good time, and I wasn't having a good time. And then I would just be angry, you know, just really fuming. And, and, and yet, logically, everyone was nice to me. People were kind to me. I had bed and breakfast. <laughs> and, you know, I had a nice brown outfit. What, what else would you want? But I was frustrated, and, and, and a lot of old karma, maybe. Or, but what happened was I... I'd, uh, I would try to be a nice guy, you know, try to be a nice monk. But basically, I just didn't want to look at the rage and the anger. So I went to Lompoc Semedo and I said, uh, I'm a hopeless case. I got all this anger. I don't know what to do. I can't practice metta bhavana. I said, that's not, you don't have to practice metta bhavana. You have to swear. I said, what do you mean swear? You just have to get on the meditation path walk up and down and say some foul language first. Get it, make it conscious. And obviously, and modern psychology talks about that. And then I saw that one of the problems I had with the whole, uh, with the rage and anger, and well, this was 1975, this was a few years ago, I'm a bit better now. <laughs> but but uh, the, the, the whole problem I had was that, that I was trying to do something about it, fix it, right? So first of all, I had to make it conscious, and this is this is very important that you that we all learn to first and foremost make conscious the way things are. I, I use that language specifically uh, because sometimes mindfulness can be a kind of I'm looking at this stuff and I'm hoping it goes away. We're being fully conscious of something as you let it come into consciousness, and I, I like that kind of language. Lumpa Sumedha would use that kind of language that 
Consciousness is the escape hatch. Let it come up into consciousness. And, and then I found with, with anger was walking meditation. I couldn't sit. I just had too much energy. I had too much energy and too many images and murderous thoughts going through my mind. But I could do walking meditation. And I would just walk furiously for hours. Just, just, stupid monastery. Until it wore down a bit. And then, I, then I'd slow down. And the next day it happened again. But I found walking meditation was tremendously helpful there. Now, um, in, in, in the forest tradition that Lopa Cha uh, introduced us to, the walking path was an important part of your equipment. You, know, you, had, a, you had a meditation hut, and, and you had the sala and the, uh, the place you ate and so on, and then the, the, the meditation path, which was 20 or 30 paces, and that became your good friend. Very good friend, because that's where you'd work out a lot of your own doubts or um, angers, because there wasn't like you had to do anything about it. You just had to bear witness to it. So bearing witness is not trying to fix. It's not that. You're not trying to fix something. You're just saying, okay, right now there's a lot of anger. It's coming out. Let's have it. And then you'd walk back and forth, walk back and forth, or sit if it's, it's, it's like that, and, and welcome it. Welcome it as a condition rather than indulging in the thoughts. So when I, when I would use <laughs> foul language, then I would say it deliberately, but I wouldn't say it for two hours, obviously. You know, I'd say it for a few sentences, and then I'd say, oh, anger feels this way, rage feels this way, and then I'd walk with it. And then, and then I get caught up with it, and I just make it conscious again. Rachel, this way. Until that energy began to, to, to get less, and then I could change my perceptions. After a while, I could say, yeah, there is this annoyance that I have, or this anger, but there's also the kindness of that villager who just gave me alms to. I could move the mind to gratitude. But I couldn't do that right away. You know, sometimes I couldn't move the mind to gratitude. Uh, I had to just be with the anger. So sometimes... The mon- the, like in, in meditation, we think we have to replace something. Well, sometimes it's not opportune. Sometimes we just have to feel the, the, the intensity of it. And then if, if we just have trust and awareness, we feel the intensity, then we go to body, body awareness. You feel it, the tension in your body, in your chest, and in your heart. And what I found is that I was, I was too much, very much in my head. I wasn't alive from here down. You know, it's kind of just in thought all the time. And then I began to, as I joke, I began to try to be aware of the heart chakra more. And it, it was really dead down there. So I started to put tiger bomb on my chest. No, get it going. It's burning in my chest. And literally get my attention into the body and into my, into my horror and so on. And I was very head-centered, thinking all the time about the anger. Why am I so angry? But that wasn't really making conscious anger. When I started to make it conscious as a, as, a, as a visceral experience of tension and energy, then it began to have less power because I became more objective. And then it, had a, a, then it came through me, and I could feel it in my body, but now I had a witnessing of it rather than a proliferation with thought. So body, body, body awareness is very, very important. And again, you're not trying to fix it and get rid of it. So if you're aware of it in the body, you can't proliferate with thought. If you're proliferating a thought, you're not really aware of it. There's a difference when I, when I look at, when I look at, I'm looking at the window, and there's, the, there's the 
trees, and it's, the color is generally green. When I say it's green, I'm not really noticing the color. I'm abstracting the color to a general word, which is correct, it's, but it's not really my experience of the color green. The, the color of that tree now is like that, and then I'm silent. And it is like that, and then I'm silent. And any word doesn't really fit it. It does and it doesn't. It kind of helps me and you know what color I'm talking about. But the experience of green is changing, and it's like that. Now apply that to anger or fear, whatever. You have to have that same sense of... You have to, you have to get away from the verbalization of these things to the immediacy of the experience. The experience of rage or anger is like, like it is. And then the words afterwards are a description. Now the description might be helpful, but quite often we only stay with a description. We don't make fully conscious like fear or anger. We don't let it into the body because we're analyzing it, we're judging it, we're trying to do something about it. So I would suggest to your question then is, are, are you allowing it to come up into your body? And are you trying to fix it? Now, once it's up in the body, once it's coming through the body, it's a lot of energy. So walking is very good. Just, you just work it off. Go for a long walk. It's much, you know, like just walk through a park for two hours or whatever. Get the energy going. Let it come up into consciousness. When it goes to thought, bring it back to the body. Huh? And then after a while, then, then as the energy fades, then it's no longer rage. It's just anger. But... The idea that your meditation, like, do you want to get rid of it? So go back to the Four Noble Truths, too. Say, what is it that I want? And what is it that I have? What is it that I want to get rid of? Because quite often the problem is not the anger, it's the not wanting of the anger, which is natural. You don't want anger, but the not wanting prevents it from being conscious. So, so the sense of metta, of kindness or acceptance is anger belongs. It's a part of nature. And as you allow it to be there, then awareness becomes spacious rather than contracted and, and kind of analytical, get rid of it, understand it. You want, you want to get awareness to a sense of space and openness so these things can come through consciousness. And then, then just see it, well... Anger, anger is, 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 uh, is my teacher now. It's not wrong. It's not something I have to get rid of. It's something that I'm now using to practice witnessing. So I'm strengthening witnessing with anger. So it's awareness with anger or awareness with breath rather than awareness of anger so that anger will go away. Don't worry about it going away. It stays as long as it wants to stay. So it's awareness with fear. Awareness with uh, the breath, awareness with cold, then it's the same awareness. Yeah? So awareness with cold or awareness with heat, it's the same awareness. Awareness with anger, awareness with fear, it's the same awareness. So you're practicing awareness with the way things are, rather than being some person who's now aware of an object out there, so I'm getting rid of it and analyzing it. No, 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 no. It's nature moving through you, and you're, aware, you're, you're, you're cultivating awareness with what's going on. So stick with it um, uh, and, and allow yourself to feel the anger and get a good, I would say, 
try to get a good walking path, even if it's in your room, 25 paces. Use your body more. I find that very helpful. At least that's the way I've dealt with it. Any more, Bita? Uh, no more questions, Lompol. Okay. Oh, there's one. Tony James, please. Thank you, Lompol. Uh, let's all say three sadhus together. So, Tony James, next time. Um, shall we shall we finish with our our so? Okay, let's finish with the chant that we started with. Okay. Itipiso bhagwa arahamsama samputo vichacharana pandwa sugato aloka vidu anustaro apoisa dhamma saratikta deva manusana puto bhagavati sawakatwa bhagavata Sāṅkho āsāmi 
ปฏิปันโนบากวัตุสาวตัสังกยดิตังชาตาริปุริสายุกามิยาสัพุริสัพุกัลลาเตสบากวัตุสาวกัสังกุอาบเนยโยปาบเนยโยจักิเนยโยอันชาลิกาณิโยอนุตันพุญญาเกตังโลกาสาธิติสิสวะกาวาอรหังสมาสัมปวดวิจจารณสัมปันวัตุกัตโตโลกาวิตุอานุตารวาปุริสัตมมัสรติสัตเทวมันุสานันบุตรบากวาติสวะกัตวะบากวะตาจัมมวะสันเดติโกอากาลิกุเอติปัสิโกโอปนายโกปัจจังเวติจามุสิญโยเอติสุปฏิปันโนปากวะตวะสาวกัสังโนอุจุปฏิปันโนปากวะตวะสาวกัสังโนญาญาปฏิปันโนปากวะตวะสาวกัสังโนสามิจิปฏิปันโนปากวะตวะสาวกัสังโนญาติดังชาตาริปุริสายุกามิยาสัพุริสัพุกัลลาเอสัพกัวตัวสาวกัสังโกอาบเนยโยอาบเนยโยจักิเนยโยอันชาลิกาณิโยอันุตรังปุญญาเกตังโลกาสติ Alright, everyone. Blessings. Be well. Stay safe, and see you next time.